Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. Living Faith features the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church from our Sunday morning and evening services, as well as our Wednesday night Bible studies for students. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that the lost might be saved and the Christian might be equipped. God's primary tool for this kind of growth is the regular preaching and teaching of His Word. That's why here at First Baptist, our prayer echoes that of the psalm. Above all else, God's Word and God's name should be exalted. Our guest preacher for these next few weeks will be Dr. Thomas Townsend. Let's listen as he brings us the Word of God. Now we're talking about Elijah. The Bible says there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, or as the King James Version says, a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, the question is asked of of Elijah as it is asked of each and every one of us as individuals. What are we doing here? This is a question that each one of us must respond to you. And Lord God, I just pray that before this day is over, that we will have answered adequately to your desire, to your satisfaction. Father, thank you. Lord, open our hearts and minds and make us and help us to be receptive to your word. And then grant, Lord, that we would have the courage to act on whatever it is that you're calling us to do. And we want to be very, very careful to praise and to glorify you, to give you all the honor and the glory that's due. Lord Jesus, may you be exalted today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, in God's relationship with mankind, we who were created in the image of God are created by our creator for one specific purpose and that's to have a deep abiding relationship with him our creator everything else is to bring us into that relationship through his son Jesus Christ God asked Adam after Adam and Eve had sinned Adam where are you Now, do you think God didn't know where Adam was? Of course he did. But God wanted Adam to respond as to where he was. 
Father, I, you know, I, I disobeyed you. I know where I am. I'm hiding. Why are you hiding, Adam? And we get to the crux of the situation. So to Elijah, the question was raised, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, let me just give you a very brief uh, sketch on Elijah. Elijah is synonymous with all the prophets, basically. He is the one that we look to as the dean of all prophets, if you will. Elijah was the man. He's the one that when we think of it, when we think of prophets, we think of Elijah because he was a man who was in total, complete obedience to God. When God caused uh, a drought to occur on the face of the earth for three years, we pick it up in, in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, and Elijah was faithful to God at every step of the way. God came and ministered to Elijah during that three-year drought period. And then God said at the end of the three years, Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab. And Elijah was obedient to do just that. King Ahab was an evil king. His wife Jezebel is the epitome of evil nature. When we think about Jezebel, when we hear that word spoken of, of any person, we think of that person as being diametrically opposed to all that God is. So Jezebel, as King Ahab's wife, led the nation and her puppet husband, Ahab, into worshiping the idols of Baal. Well, Ahab was challenged by Elijah and ultimately by God to go to Mount Carmel. And when they were on Mount Carmel, Elijah said, what I want you to do is I want you to take 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah, and I want you to meet me there on Mount Carmel. And as they went up, Elijah said, you create an altar there for you, kill a young bullock, a calf, put it on the altar, pray, and the God that brings fire down from heaven to consume that altar is the God that we will worship. Elijah likewise built an altar himself. And it says from morning till noon, the prophets of Baal and Asherah danced around the altar and called down from their God who actually obviously did not exist. And then in the afternoon, it got to be an ugly scene with them cutting themselves for emphasis for their God to pay attention and to notice them on this earth. And nothing happened. So Elijah had buckets of water poured over his altar. And as he rebuilt it, he put the, the, the calf on the altar. Then he cried out to God. And God brought fire down and not only consumed the sacrifice, but consumed the stones and the water and the dirt around the altar. And then the prophets of Baal and Asherah were seized and they were all slain. Well, this didn't set well with Jezebel, as you can imagine. The Bible says that these 850 prophets sat at Jezebel's table, and they would tell her the things that she needed to hear or that she wanted to hear, that she was uh, omnipotent, that she was omniscient, that she was all everything, that she was God incarnate, 
that she was the most beautiful person on the face of the earth, everything that just absorbed in her narcissistic, self-centered heart, they told her. And so it was disturbing to her, to say the least, that this news had reached her about her prophets. So we pick it up in chapter 19, where the Bible says that Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying that just like you did to these prophets, I will do to you before sundown tomorrow. You know, you feel like those of us that have grown up with these great westerns, before sundown, son, Okay, corral. And that's what Ahab was thinking. And that's what, unfortunately, Elijah became afraid. Now, Elijah, the Bible says, verse 3, was afraid and ran for his life. Well, we need to understand that James 5, 17 says that Elijah was just a man like us. But we know that Elijah was held in the highest esteem in the word of God. When we see the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was met, he was met by Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophet. Those that represented all that the Old Testament uh, contained. And so Elijah, being just a man like us, we can learn certain things from him. There are three stages of his life at this point. His first stage was to run. The Bible tells us that when he ran, he ran for his life. He ran from his troubles. Beersheba was some 90 miles away from where he was when the news came to him that his life was going to be required of him. Some of us do the same thing. We run. We pack it up and we move on to a different locale. We, we move on to a different job, a different location, sometimes different relationships, but we run when God is, is calling us. But he ran from his troubles. He ran from himself. Verse four says that while he was on a day's journey, he sat down and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. I want you to know that God is not asking you or me to be better than our ancestors. He's not asking us to be better than our parents, better than our children, better than our spouses. God doesn't measure us against each other. We're not graded on a curve. He measures us all against his perfect standard of excellence. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So he ran from himself. Sometimes we begin to measure ourselves against each other. And we start in our lives. Sometimes I've, I've come across people who are saying in their own life, I just want to be better than my father. I want to be better than my mother. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better woman. And when we fail at that, we say the same thing Elijah said. I'm really no better than 
the people that gave me birth, the people that raised me. I'm no better than them. But God's not asking you to be better than them. God's calling you to himself to be what he wants you to be, what he desires for you to be as he continues to work with us. He ran from God in verse four. He said, I've had enough, Lord. This is it. I'm even running from you. Now, for three years prior to Mount Carmel experience, there he was in the wilderness in a drought condition at the end of that challenge to the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He, he knelt down and prayed for rain and the rain came and broke that three-year drought to the extent that he told Ahab, you better leave now so your chariot doesn't get stuck in the rain. What a great thing to say to the king who was experiencing drought as well as Elijah was. But he ran from God. Some of us run from God. I've talked to people over the years that tell me that they, at some particular point in time, at a meeting, at a, at a convention, at a conference, at a weekend retreat, at a summer camp, whatever the case might be, during a revival time, during personal devotional time, God spoke to them in such a way. Some have followed God's admonition, others haven't. It's rather sad to see people, especially late in their years, that tell me in, in private, you know, the Lord called me to, and then they fill in the blank. And I should have done it. Why didn't you do it, I ask. Well, there were just so many other reasons not to. Maybe you're here today and, and that's, you're still in that running stage. God is calling you towards something, for something, in something, and yet you continue to run. You stay busy, stay absorbed in other things. The more, the busier we are, the less time we, we tend to reflect on what it is that God's calling us to do. And then he ran from his success. I mean, after all, look at those 450 prophets of Baal, or 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah. That was success. Bring, breaking the drought was success. You and I know that some of the greatest challenges that we ever have in life, especially in our spiritual walk, is right on the very heels of great accomplishments. This is always true. This is when Satan finds us the most vulnerable because the enemy finds us relaxed and just basking in the warmth of that particular victorious moment. And then all of a sudden, bam, it hits us. And the temptation comes when we least expect it. So we run from our success and ultimately we run from family and friends. Verse three says that he took his servant with him and there at Beersheba, he left him 90 miles later and went on. Didn't tell him where he was going because when Ahab's group caught up with him, he didn't want him to know, didn't want him to be killed, didn't want him to have to lie about where he was going. He just didn't tell him. But we run 
And we run from family and friends. We run from the very people that have known us for a long time and, and have known us intimately. We run from our family who we usually let our guard down with or our close friends because we really don't want them to see us unguarded and vulnerable. Well, some of you sitting here today may be in that running stage. The second one he did was to hide. God says, what I want you to do, Elijah, I want you to get ready. I want you to go up. We're going to take you some 200 to 250 miles from here. It was a 40-day journey up into Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And I'll talk to you there. So God had his angels feed him. He had got his rest, fed him again. He was well rested for the journey and made it there. Then he went inside the cave and hid and hid. He withdrew. He withdrew from God. He withdrew from others. This is the second stage that we have in our, in our battle with God about what he wants us to do. Not only do we run, but we hide. We immerse ourselves in something else, uh, you know, the, the man cave or, or whatever it might be for you. It might be hiding ourselves into a hobby, into our employment, into something else, but we run and we hide from God and from others. We simply withdraw. But then the third stage comes, and I want to linger here just a little bit. And that's the stage of obedience. You notice, he says, I am the only one of the prophets left. In chapter 18, and then he flees. Obadiah has already told him that I am the one who loves the Lord and serves the Lord. I've taken a hundred of his prophets. I put 50 in, in a cave and 50 more in another cave and I fed them and made sure that they stay alive and healthy. So he has already told Elijah this. But Elijah started feeling, I'm the only one left. I'm it. Look at verse 10. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and Put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. What is he saying in effect? God, I'm it. I'm the best that you have on planet earth. Now you're saying, well, that's rather boastful and prideful, and it is. But do you ever come to that place in your own life where you make the same statement? if not out loud, at least internally in your own heart. Why, you know, without me, this teaching, this Sunday school class would probably just vanish. Without me, this ministry would have no footing at all. Without me, these things around this church building would not be taken care of. And we're saying the same thing, Elijah. I've been very zealous for you, Lord. I mean, all these 
times and all these things that I've done in your name on your behalf. Who's gonna pick up the mantle when I leave? No one. No one. I think we all ought to take that little analogy about putting our finger in the water and when we pull it out, seeing if there's a hole left. That's the same thing. God always has his remnant. God always has his people prepared to take over. He has it here in the place of the the pastor. He has it in the place of, of you. And I've always told congregations, you need to be training your successor. Don't ever get to the point where you think it's your ministry, your class, your church. It's all about him. It's all about him. He is to be honored and exonerated and and, and adored, exalted for all things. Lord, I've been here. God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then there was this great wind that tore the mountains, shattered the rocks. The Lord was not in the wind. The wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came this gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it. Pulled the cloak up over his face. Didn't pull it over his face during the natural disasters. Mary Jo and I ministered in a lot of disasters together. Uh, It goes back a long years, a number of years. Right after Andrew hit down in Kendall, I was down there for a couple of weeks ministering there. We served the area of Katrina in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi for years. I've been in tornadoes and hurricane disasters. We've seen floods. Let me tell you, people aren't looking necessarily for God's presence during the natural disaster. But right on the heels of it, when the birds start chirping again, when the sun is shining, and in the aftermath of a disaster, God appears to them in that still small voice, that gentle whisper of his. We wonder why God allows disasters to occur. Folks, I can tell you from a personal standpoint that this is a time when people's hearts are open and softened to the presence and the movement of the Lord Jesus Christ at a time and no other time in their life would even match. Tsunamis have gone through Southeast Asia and opened entire villages that were beforehand closed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And entire villages have come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. As a result, I've seen people who have, who have bowed the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ after a disaster like that who beforehand would never even consider it. But he's in that still, small voice. You hear it. You hear it. And after all of that, God is saying to Elijah, you don't worship nature. You worship the God of nature. I want to show you my capability. But the whisper is to bring you close Because when you whisper, people pay attention. 
When you whisper, it's because you want somebody to come in closer proximity to you. When you whisper, not only have you gotten their attention, but you've gotten their heart as well. And so God is saying to Elijah, you know what I can do. You know my power. You've seen the fire from heaven. You've seen me eliminate the drought. Now you've seen the, the destructive forces that I can create through nature. Now hear this, Elijah. I'm gonna ask you one more time. What are you doing here? And what does Elijah say? He says the same exact thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death. Yada, yada, yada. So the question comes to me as it comes to you these couple of thousand years later. What are you doing? What are you doing here? Has God passed you by? Have you listened to that still, gentle whisper? Is he calling you to do something? Have you experienced a disaster in your life, a cataclysmic event that God is pointing you to himself, but you've turned your back on him or shook your hands in the face of God in anger when all God wanted to do was to get your attention? Have you been zealous in past, but not now? Have you gotten to the point where you just want to run away from it all, just abandon it? Maybe like him and under the broom tree, the juniper tree that just says, Lord, it's done. I'm through. I want out of here. It's over. Have you gotten to that place where, where you've just been zealous in the times past, but right now you wouldn't take two cents for your life? Well, God sent this still small whisper, still small whisper. J. Oswald Sanders said the whispers from Calvary are infinitely more potent than the thunder of Sinai in bringing men to repentance. So what are you doing here? Chuck Swindoll writes, the enemy says to the unemployed, no chance. To the divorced, he says, no place. To the bereaved, he says, no hope. To the struggling, he says, no way. And the enemy continues to shout that in our ears to the extent that before long, at the right given time, we listen and we tend to be more obedient to the enemy than to the creator who has saved our souls. So what are you doing here? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? The question is yours. The answer is yours. What are you doing here? God told Elijah, and by the way, there are 7,000 more than just in that next village who have not bowed their knee to Baal, who are obedient servants of mine. You're not alone. You're not my last hope. I can do it without you, but God says, I would prefer doing it with you. And then he gave him three things that he wanted Elijah to do. 
Now, Elijah had the choice. He could say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay right here in this cave and that's it. This is where I'm going to remain. I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to retire. I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm just going to stay right here in this cave. And we would have heard no more from him. But he was obedient and did what God asked him to do. Because ultimately, Elijah came to that grips with the fact that God wasn't finished with him. And he's not finished with you. And he's not finished with me. He's calling us into his activity and giving us an opportunity to respond. So what are you doing here? Are you going to respond to that or not? What is God calling you to do? What does he ask you to do? Have you been running from him? Are you hiding from him? Are you ultimately going to obey him? The choice is yours this morning. Let's bow. Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day. Lord, there are those here this morning that are really struggling with your will. Lord, for each and every one of us who are struggling with your will, just be with them. Help them to have that calm assurance of your power and your presence. Be with them. Lord, there may be someone here today who has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. You've come into this world that we might have life and might have it abundantly. We might have it eternally. But we can only have that by putting full faith and trust in in our Lord Jesus Christ. No one can come into the Father except through Jesus. And I pray today, if there's anyone sitting here this morning who's never trusted you, Lord Jesus, that today they will open their hearts and minds and submit themselves to you. Father, thank you. And then there are others who are not following you faithfully. Today, I pray that they come out of the cave, stand in your presence, hear what you have to say, and be obedient to do what you've asked us to do. Thank you. Father, be with us now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Stay connected to the teaching and preaching ministry of First Baptist Church by subscribing to this weekly podcast using your computer or mobile device. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet every Sunday for worship at 1045 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. We invite you to join us if you don't currently have a church home and are looking for a place where the Word of God is proclaimed with power and clarity. You can find access to all of this and much more by visiting our website at fbcap.net. We look forward to connecting with you. Until then, this is Living Faith.